Welcome back, everybody, to Go Help Yourself, a comedy self-help podcast to make life suck less. I am Lisa Linky, one half of your co-hosting journeymen, women, people of all genders. And my other co-host, Misty Stinnett, is not here today. I love her. I miss her dearly. But I have brought a special, special guest today. And I can't wait for you to meet this person. Um, But before I introduce you, I am just going to give you a quick uh, welcome. If it's your first time, welcome, new tiny pocket friend, soon to be longtime loyal listener. We are so excited that you're here. This is a weekly podcast where um, we read and review a new self-help book every week. We tell you the tips, the tricks, the ups, the downs, the ins, the outs, the yays, the boos within an hour. So you'll get the main points and know whether or not you want to support the author. If this is your jam, right? If it's not your jam, or if it's a total dumpster fire, which often it is, then we've saved you the time, energy, and money that you would have spent into reading this book. And you're welcome. We're falling on this proverbial self-help sword for you. We do this to be of service. You know, maybe someone in your life has been begging you to get some self-help or you've been wanting to get some self-help, but you're busy. We're coming into the year of the pan, a year long pandemic. You don't have time for that. Anyway, I digress. That's our Friday episode. That's what you're listening to now. On Tuesdays, we have our follow up episode, which we lovingly refer to as our weekly beef. And that's where we do all things that are not books related to self help articles, quizzes, trivia, thought provoking questions, guests, et cetera. But again, this is a full frontal Friday. Very excited. And ladies and gentlemen, and people of all genders, I am so pleased to introduce you to one of my dear friends, Kate Cohen. Kate, welcome to the podcast. Oh my gosh, Lisa, thank you for having me. Everybody, as you may have known or listened to, I am deep in grief from (laughs) the events of the past year and losing my landlord, Zoe. You all know her as my landlord, Zoe. And I just realized I could not read self-help right now. I was too porous. And so I reached out to my coven and said, I need help. And they responded so fast. I'm so, so grateful. Kate Cohen responded right after my best friend. It was wonderful. And this group of women is my jam. So let me tell you a little bit about Kate. Kate Cohen has a master's of science in learning and organizational change from Northwestern University. That, she says, is a totally relevant compliment to her bachelor in the bachelor's in theater arts from the University of Arizona, Tucson. Go cats! Go cats! <laughs> Twice! Go cats both times! She's also a talented improviser and a wonderful improv teacher. If you have the chance to study with her online, which you can do from around the world right now, you please do. She's truly one of the best improv teachers I know. She's so patient. She's much nicer than I ever was. She currently works in learning and development for an international company, and she's also an incredible referee for short-form improv and one of the funniest women I know. And so I'm so grateful that you're part of my coven. Kate Cohen, ugh. Thank you so much for having me. That is truly, that's an incredibly nice introduction, and I hope I live up to it. I know it's about me. I need self-help. Is it clear? (laughs) (laughs) Just keep talking. Maybe we'll get to it. If you oh keep, my gosh, right? Keep rambling. Um, but yes, thank you so much for having me. I'm incredibly excited to be here. Self-help is a really interesting category of literature, if you will, uh-huh, for me. Uh-huh. Um, it's something that I find I rarely buy, but is often gifted to me. Okay. Yes, which is very telling and very interesting. But I really do appreciate different perspectives And I am pretty good with like, take it or leave it or like chunks of information if it's something that I think I can apply to my life. You're more misty. Mm -hmm. You're definitely more misty than Lisa, who's like, fuck this shit. Also, sorry, we cuss on this podcast. That's that's what we do. It's explicit. You you knew that clicking on it. Yeah. I would like to say, though, I think I'm somewhere in between because I definitely, and, and I will get into this too when I talk about this particular book, but... Mm-hmm. I have a general like initial resistance to self-help. Mm-hmm. And then it's almost a like gur, general initial resistance. I have a gur, <laughs> I have a gur. Yeah. Gur. A gur. I got a gur yeah. about it. 
But I think what happens is it's sort of like, you know, when you try to um, get a toddler down for a nap and they just bite you, they're like, no, but then they are so tired that eventually they're like, oh, I really needed that nap. So I feel like a lot of these books are similar in that way for me, where I I have so tired. I have a GER, but I (laughs) I am I am tired. Um, But I have a GER about it in the beginning. But then as I go on, I'm just like, well, okay. Yeah, I guess it, I guess you can use that. That's I beautiful. Yes, it's fine. I'm putting it at my tone, which is like fine. They're not wrong. <laughs> That's amazing. Okay, so Kate, what book are you bringing to us this week? So this week, I am bringing to you Essentialism: The Disciplined Pursuit of Less by Greg McEwen. Okay, Kate is holding up the book for me, and I need to tell you that it's it's quite attractive. The cover, it's basically it's like a knot, a knot of um, squiggles and then an arrow into like uh, circles. They're not like uniform, but it's just kind of like they've untangled a knot and, and it's black on white. And then in red, it says essentialism. And it's kind of like a clean cover. And I will say even the knot is not all the way on on the cover. So like it's it's really focusing on, it sounds like doing less, like just getting down to the essentials. Okay, I understand the title of the book. Yeah, exactly. Um, and what you will find also is this, well, first of all, I want to make it clear that that knot does extend to the back of the book. It, okay, yes, yes, so, yes. I so that. Know, that, know that that's a design choice, but... It is because then essentialism is in the in the, the, the center of the knot in all black and that's printed in white. It's actually, it's, it's a brilliant design. It okay. really all is. Right. And, and what you'll all find right. is we go is that first of all this is the aesthetic of all of the models in the book which is essentially done with sharpie what i will say to we can talk about like uh, about the visuals i have thoughts uh-huh. on it i actually think uh-huh. it's quite brilliant but so what we'll find is that this is the representation of the non-essentialist and this is the representation i'm pointing to the not everybody and the then not, this uh-huh. the circle with just the word essentialism in the middle this is the representation of the essentialist so okay. it's two like okay. very Similar images, I like it. very simple I like it. images. I yeah. like things that are distilled to simple because mm-hmm. I'm simple. Yeah. Um, and Kate, if you had to summarize the premise of this book in one sentence, what would it be? Yes. So it's very similar to your premise of why you do this podcast, and you'll see why. Oh. So when I thought about how do I sort of summarize this book into one sentence, it is hey, when you try to do everything, Everything is gonna suck. <laughs> hey, yeah, like flash, yeah, and, and, and everything, all. and that encompasses like everything. So the everything okay. that's gonna suck is gonna be your job. It's gonna be okay. your life. It's gonna be your insides. Every, yeah. Okay, I love this. All right. Well, I'm excited to know more. I am gonna tell our audience a couple prices. Oh, I so have them from pulled up sh- and written down too. Oh. Excuse but, me. Oh, go ahead. Please go ahead. I do. I need you to know that Kate Cohen is truly one of the most prepared and delightful and like organized people. And I love her so much. You probably do. Have, I see she has pages of notes with highlights on notes and she has the book prices. You're so wonderful. We do use some new book, different book distributors because we're trying to get away from uh, Amazon. But so on bookshop.org, which now, by the way, since the beginning of the pandemic has raised $11.5 million for local bookstores. The hardcover is $23.92. The paperback is $16.56. And on Libro FM, the audiobook is $24.50 or $14.99 with membership. And then the Kindle is $12.99. So Kate, how did you come by this book? Sure. So this book was actually gifted to me. Like I said, a lot of times these types of books are given to me, which I am very appreciative of. This book was given to me without any sort of discussion about it beforehand. So a lot of times someone will be like, oh, have you read this book? It's so great. And then maybe I'll send it to a friend or it'll show up at my door or something like that. This was not the case. So this was actually given to me by a coworker and a friend who I value so much and I think mm-hmm. is incredibly smart. And it was sent to me as something that had been really impactful for them and thought okay. that I would get a lot out of. It was a full recommend. I it love it. It was a full recommend. And it was, for me, kind of the most, I think, generous kind of recommend because 
it was, you know, when someone sends you something, it means that they're thinking about you and mm. that they think that it is something that would benefit you. And it, just so I was very appreciative. I love that. You know, when somebody sends me something, I'm immediately like, what's wrong with you? Well, now this book came out. <laughs> well, I was going to say a lot of times, usually my reaction is what's wrong with me? Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. You're sending me this book. This book came out in 2014. It's 274 pages. And I believe the length, audio length is six hours, just over six hours. So uh, for the audiobook. So would would you say it's more practical or woo-woo? Now, you know, we love the woo-woo is like make a make a vision board or light a candle. And the practical is like list, do this is how you do it. What where would you say this book falls? I would say this falls more in the practical camp. I would okay. say towards the end of it, we start dipping our toes into some woo-woo water, but okay. it's very light and the water is like ambient. So there's no shock to you. You okay. almost okay. don't realize that your feet are in it. And then okay. you look down. And you're like, this is how a frog gets boiled to death. Exactly. But with good <laughs> intentions. Oh, got it. Well, it's for dinner. So who is this Greg McEwen? Yes. So Greg McEwen, and I'm reading this straight from the internet, is originally from London. He is an author, a public speaker, a leadership and business strategist, and New York Times bestselling author of Essentialism, Uh The Disciplined Pursuit of Less. And on his website a little bit earlier, I saw that he has a new book that has recently come out called Effortless. And I didn't read anything about it, but from the cover, I made an assumption that it's (laughs) basically about how to be more effortless. Hmm. I feel like I already have have it down on how to put in very little effort. Sure. And I think I'm good at that as well. (laughs) But what you learn more about in the book is, you know, this is what Greg McEwen is doing now. He's an author and he's sort of like this essentialism evangelist. He does a lot of speaking, a lot of consulting, that kind of stuff. What you learn as you read the book is that this sort of came out of him being a law student and then very strategically quitting because he was like, this is not what I want to do. And also had some like very high stress, high burn jobs that then um, he took another path, uh, set his sights on Stanford um, for his MBA and has sort of pursued that. So he's got this like business background. So he's a former law student, Mm -hmm. now Stanford MBA. Correct. So he is real dumb, is what you're telling me. He is real dumb. He, yeah, no, he's he's got a really, I think, approachable story, um, okay. at least for me. And then he also has an approachable way of writing, which I appreciate. Okay, great. Great. Well, how do I become essential? Okay. So the, the way that the book is sort of laid out is um, it's laid out into four parts, okay? Okay. Well, first you have this introduction. And the introduction, it basically asks the question, who is the essentialist, all right? Okay. And then we, so once we learn about like, what is the sort of main point of essentialism, then we dive into these four main parts, which is the essence of the essentialist, and then explore, eliminate, and execute. So, so it's a lot of ease. Yeah. Essence, explore, eliminate, eliminate, and execute. Execute. Yep. So essence is when we're talking about, you know, who is the essentialist and what sort of mindsets do you need to be in uh-huh. in order to be an essentialist. And then the next three, explore, eliminate, execute, we kind of put it into motion a little bit more. And what Greg McCune does is gives you some debatably practical tools on how to actually be an essentialist. (laughs) Thank you, debatably practical. Okay, okay, I'm excited. I'm here and I'm ready to become essential by explaining, evacuating, exterminating, and excavating. Sure. I will also say, I do love an acronym like GER. What did I say? Uh What was GER again? Yeah, General Initial Resistance. (laughs) Yeah. So I love an acronym. This is just E. So that's (laughs) E. Exactly. Uh, I saw a mouse and I became an essentialist. 
basically. Although, I mean, I don't, if the mouse is the most important thing, then, then that would be true. So, so who is the essentialist? This is how the book who? starts. Tell who? me who. Who, um, who, 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 So basically what Greg McEwen explains is that essentialism and being an essentialist is, it's not about how to get more things done. What it is, is it's about how to get the right things done. So I have a quote okay. from the book, which is the basic value proposition of essentialism. Only once you give yourself permission to stop trying to do it all, to stop saying yes to everyone, can you make your highest contribution towards the things that really matter? I mean, that makes sense in theory, right? It, it's, it totally makes sense in theory. And then there's, a, there's another quote in here that he talks about, you know, if you don't prioritize your life, someone else will prioritize it for you, right? Oh, yeah. And that is, that one. he does. And that is how he kind of starts it out. Here's something really interesting in this introduction. He talks about, I've done no research on this, but also it's a book. He did the research, right? <laughs> so what, and this is, this is like the essence of me, Lisa, where I read something that I'm just like, but maybe I should investigate that. <laughs> but some, something interesting he talks about is this idea of the word priority so apparently, uh-huh. the, uh, when this word came into the lexicon, if you will, uh-huh. in the 1400s, it meant the one most important thing. And only in the 1900s did language start to pluralize that word. Right. I didn't know this. I'm sure you do from reading all of these books. But I yeah. thought that was very interesting. Well, it makes sense that like, you know, in the 1400s, what did I have? I had my house, my family, my crops. In the 1900s, I had the Industrial Revolution, so I had workers, I had multiple children, I had a mortgage, like I had multiple priorities, also the rise of capitalism. Yeah, all that's true. I think what Greg McEwen would say, though, Mm -hmm, is mm -hmm. even in the face of all of that capitalism, there's still only one most important thing. Which is? Well, you have to decide. That's like the point of essentialism. I wanted him to tell me. No. Well, and this is the part of essentialism. I'll get into this later, but this is the part of essentialism that stresses me out where it's like, oh, I have to decide. (laughs) But I I mean, but like, how do I decide? Is it me, me, myself and I, is it my family? Is it my livelihood and longevity? Like, what is it? Mm -hmm. So we get into that in Explore which I'd be, we can jump ahead or we can go in Keep order. going, keep going, keep going. Yeah, because well, he, he does get into that, which I, which I appreciate. But so another thing that he lays out that I watched a couple of his talks that he had done that were online. And this is something that he talks about in his talks a lot, which is around this idea of the paradox of success, right? Mm-hmm. Where you work really hard, you do really well at something. And then what happens is, people recognize you for it and you start being the go-to and then you start getting spread thinner and thinner and thinner until finally your success turns into your failure because you are trying to be so successful because you're, Mm. no one can see this, but Lisa looks shook by this. Um. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, I'm also just shook by the fact that you have a beautiful print of Madonna's from her True Blue album behind you. It's the actual album. It's the actual album beautifully displayed. And I'm thinking, well, Madonna like did it all. And she's what, 60 now? And crushing it? At least, yeah. So I don't know. Challenge Greg McEwen, Madonna. I don't disagree. And I think that a through line that I want to explore with you here around essentialism is how privilege plays into this. <sighs> you know I was going to get to it. <laughs> and I love that you brought it up. Big time. So that is huge uh, because I agree. Like, yeah, does Madonna have multiple priorities? Probably. But what is the Madonna infrastructure that allows Uh that to happen? Who was the assistant who videotaped her in the bath at the beginning of the pandemic? Do you remember that video? No. Oh, she's in like a milky rose petal bath and is talking about like, Finding time to be alone or something is really mm. interesting. Mm-hmm. I know for me, when I'm sitting in my one bedroom apartment in a milky rose bath, I also call for my assistant 
Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. Okay, All great. these things okay, are great. right. So, yes. Another way I think that, that I think that is really interesting is the whole book starts with the the name of this like fictional executive with this, you know, story. And it's like, yeah. it says Sam Elliott, you know, was an executive. And I'm like, who's Sam Elliott? Like, wasn't he a playwright or an actor? Sam Elliott. Yeah, exactly. So I was like, oh, Sam Elliott, like Big Lebowski, Sam Elliott. Right. Uh, right. But no. So that's just my own. That's, that's on me. So, okay. <laughs> so we learn about the, who the essentialist is. And then we go into part one, which is the essence or the core mindset of okay. the essentialist. The core mindset of the essentialist is very based on, based in choice, right? Okay. So we have the ability to choose what it is that we decide is important and what it is that we decide we spend our time in. And something that McEwen talks about is how we always have the ability to choose, but we often forget or unlearn the ability to choose. Okay. So the essentialist chooses yeah. Like that's just it. They choose. Yeah. They, they really have to be very disciplined about reminding themselves that they are able to make choices. And it goes a little bit more into detail about making those choices. So they talk about how uh, almost nothing matters. <laughs> so Greg McEwen, what he does is he, he, do, he draws a lot of comparisons between the essentialist and the non-essentialist. So essentially what he will say, he says, is that the non-essentialist thinks that everything is important or thinks that many, many, many things are important. But the essentialist is like literally only one or two things are important and all that other stuff is not important. Yeah. This already is screaming of privilege to me because I'm thinking of traditionally in our business societies, men have had the privilege of having a spouse at home who is handling all of the day-to-day trappings of keeping a family afloat. And they don't have to put a priority on that. And all of that emotional labor and mental load is being covered by somebody else. So they can say, I'm sorry, I have to choose work because that's my priority. And I I afford all of this. I have to keep all of this. And I'm thinking about the millions of working women during the pandemic right now who are teaching, parenting, acting as full-time cleanup crew (laughs) and working. And they don't have the privilege of choosing. You are absolutely correct. Yes. Yeah. And I think that that is a huge thing to keep in mind reading through this book because what Greg McEwen does is he does try to apply this to life. He makes a lot of references throughout this to his home life. So his children and his wife and the way that he prioritizes them as, you know, the most essential, like that's the book dedication. It's like his wife and four kids, you are the most essential things. I mean, it would be really awkward if it weren't, right? I would wonder if that wasn't there. Yes. But like, I mean, if somebody chooses that their health is the most important, and they're on the treadmill and their kid comes in crying, do they say, I'm sorry, my health is my priority. You're going to have to wait till I'm done with my workout. So I feel like that is kind of tackled later because he talks a right. lot about the, you know, being in the present moment. There's a, a lot of like parallels to mindfulness and stuff that come later in the book. And okay. I think what he might argue is in that situation, the essential will flip, right? So then the essential becomes my child is most essential. So in that moment, you would make the decision to get off the damn treadmill and like get your kid a Band-Aid or a Popsicle. But also, wouldn't an essential thing as a parent be teaching your kid how to get their own Popsicle? See, you and I have perfect strategy minds for this and that we're going to be like, but what about ism this man to death? And I'm fine with it. I'm fine with it. All right, keep going, keep going. I'm here, I'm here. So here's something that I think is very interesting when it comes to the, the essence of the essentialist. We have the ability to choose. As the essentialist, we always need to be choosing. We need to discern what is most important because most, thing most things are crap. But what he does talk about is trade-offs, right? So mm-hmm. he asks this question of which problem do I want? This is also Mark Manson talked about in his book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, that we always want to it's we would like to have more complex problems or more difficult problems, like having better problems to solve. Mm-hmm. 
That's a good thing. Yeah. Although it's less, yes. Uh, and it is sort of like the better problem to solve. I think, I think the idea is once you determine what is most important, then mm-hmm. that almost like naturally, I think by default becomes the better problem to solve because it's the problem yes. you care the most about, right? Yes. In this book, does he typically give like examples and does he give caveats along the way about like, listen, I am a white man who had a wife who could take care of the kids while I was busy on tour giving speeches. Nope. Okay. He doesn't do that. Now, is that something that since 2014 he has uh, acknowledged? Maybe. Who can know? Who Mm -hmm. can know? I mean, I probably could know if I did more research on him, but I didn't. (laughs) I just read the book. So... He doesn't do that. What he does acknowledge is the the realities of emotions. He acknowledges that this stuff is not easy. And the reason okay. that this is called the disciplined pursuit of less is because he frames this start to finish, no punches pulled as a discipline, as a choice, and as something that you really need to put okay. effort into. Here's what I will say. You ask, does he give examples? Lisa, he gives so many examples that... <laughs> I actually think this book could probably be 100 pages long. To be fair, he, at the very beginning of the book, when he's talking about essentialism, there is a line that I remember without even having to write it down that says, I'm overemphasizing my point to make it. And then he says the thing that he's trying to say. However, I think he might do that a little too much. A little too much? Because he brings in, and I wrote down here, he brings in a whole lot of examples and a whole lot of quotes from famous authors and leaders and thought leaders and philosophers. And all of the time, he's bringing in these things to sort of support this idea of essentialism. He also, I will say, quotes Harry Potter, Gandhi, the Bible, and the movie Tootsie. Well, I do love variety. So he is covering a lot of ground. So, Okay. okay, yeah. So he, when it comes to trade-offs, like circling back to trade-offs, what he says is we can try to avoid the reality of trade-offs, but we can't escape them. So a non-essentialist approaches every trade-off by asking, how can I do both? Essentialists, Essentialists ask the tougher but ultimately more liberating question, which problems do, which problem do I want? An essentialist makes trade-offs deliberately. I butchered that quote and I'm sorry. No, I, it makes sense because I think something in my probably 20s, I tried to do everything. And in my 30s in therapy, I really grappled with this conflict of wanting to be in two places at once and recognizing that like, I will disappoint somebody if I choose or disappoint myself by not choosing and like, you know what I mean? So I understand the concept. I do feel like it's a little devoid of at least as as I'm hearing it from you, and he, he could go more into it in the book, but it kind of sounds devoid of dealing with the emotional aspect that comes from being an essentialist, which seems like it would require a lot. Yeah, I think so. And it's interesting the way that he puts it, because it, it is very simple of like, if you say yes to something, you got to say no to something else. Mm-hmm. And I certainly get that. But at the same time, as I'm reading it in my emotional brain that overthinks <laughs> oh, everything, I'm thinking to myself, well, how do I possibly just choose one thing? And there are certain things that are non-negotiable for me. And so yeah, this idea yeah. of the trade-off feels not only scary, it almost feels like combative to me because mm. I want to reject it. I, 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 I gur it, right? Mm-hmm. I want to acknowledge that feeling. And I also want to say you don't have an emotional brain. You have a brain that is very sympathetic and is very conscious of how everyone feels and is, you know, what's very important to you as I know you is relationships, right? So saying no to something has potential consequences. So I don't think that you're emotional. I don't think that you're anything other than kind of living a wholehearted life, which means being vulnerable and potentially disappointing somebody. And thinking about those consequences and how you might feel is very intelligent. It's very thoughtful. That's why you're my friend. Like, Thank you. You know what I mean? I, I think it's a very one... Listen, I'm the daughter of a, an economist and the sister of an economist by train and training and by brain. And this to me sounds like, economist thinking. 
there is a trade-off. There is no free lunch. You have to choose one or the other. Supply meets demand. That's it. And then enter me, this very intuitive, like emotional creature who's like, but what about the people who don't get to sell their wares at the market? Like, how do they feel? You know, and the economists are like, I don't care how they feel. Well, I care how they feel. And that impacts me. So I I really think that you're bringing another dimension to this book. And look, no book is perfect and no author's approach is perfect, but you're really highlighting some of the the flaws or for people who whose priority is relationships. This is a tough choice. It is a tough choice. And he does not shy away from the fact that it is a tough choice. What I will say is he acknowledges that this is a practice. And later on, ooh, baby, later on, he gives us some practical tips on how to say no. Okay. okay. Which is great. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. But yes, definitely acknowledges that this can be difficult and that you have to practice it in order to get comfortable with it. Okay. I, and I, I agree with that. Okay. So I think I understand the essence mm-hmm, of that, essentialism. Yep. That's Part the one, essence. I understand what it, what it takes here. Great. The next one is excavating all of my inner demons. Basically. Yeah. So now we're going to get practical. If you're ready, we're going to explore, eliminate and execute. Thank you. Or excavate. It's e- e- eliminate, exacerbate, exacerbate and, and Ex, extraterrestrial. Ex, extra, <laughs> yep, I love it. Let's ET. Okay. Thank you. So in my notes, after I read Essence, I was like, my thoughts, how do I do this though? <laughs> you guys, she just showed me literally. It was like, how do I do this though? Yeah. Um, actually, <laughs> it says- Everybody how, should how, be friends. Yeah, it says, how, t- how TF do I do this though? So how the fuck do uh-huh. I do this though, right? Exactly. Um, because I'm, th- I'm reading this and I'm thinking this is great, but- shit, man, like this is going to be hard. So, so the first thing that Greg McEwen tries to help us to do is explore all the possibilities. And what he calls this is discern the trivial many from the vital few. Okay, fine. I feel like we could say that. You and I could come up with that. We're trying to write a paper. You're not wrong. And so here's where a little privilege comes in also. Um, He talks a lot about giving yourself space to think. Um, He talks about the idea of escape, right? Block time in your day, get away, take a trip, take time off work. I think we all know that that in an ideal world would be great to do. But in that space to think, what he basically tells everybody to do is they they need to do a couple of things, like find the essential piece of information And then also make sure that you, your face is telling me everything that you feel about this. But I mean, I just feel he's like, it's essential. So explore to find the essential. Right. Excavate to find the essential. So, but the essential in this part, what he's talking about is take all the things that you have and figure out what is the point of this? And then is it essential to me? So he's basically, this is Marie Kondo, but instead of does it spark joy, it's, oh, she's turning to the book. She's turning Lisa, to the page. Lisa, yes. So in the very beginning, he, there's a through line, actually. I'm so glad you said that because there is a through line through this whole book that is a metaphor for cleaning out all of the clothes in your closet. So it is very Marie Kondo. I think it's less about, but it's not sparking joy. It's what is essential. It's the same. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. fine. Okay. It's the same. It's the same. two sides of a coin, right? What sparks joy may not be essential, but the fact is that we're keeping things that are adding value to our life. And he's just coming through it from a different lens. Exactly. But it is very similar. So, but what he does say is like, you need this time to explore so that you can actually be disciplined about what you decide is essential. Sure. That makes sense. I like that because I think that it could be really easy to take whatever is in front. I know for me personally, I can be very reactive, especially if it's something that is urgent, if it's something that a relationship hinges on, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. I am very reactive to those things and I always want to solve problems. So I definitely buy into this idea of, no, I'm going to figure out what is most important and then I'm going to target on that. And what he uses later in the book as an example is... He got his MBA from Stanford and he did a ton of research and decided this is the path that is going to help me to get where I need to go. And this is the place where I need to do it. He didn't get accepted the first time, but instead of being like, well, I guess it's time to figure out something else. He's like, no, I'm going to apply again and figure Mm -hmm. out how do I do this? 
Because um, I can't, I can't hawk this shit without a Stanford MBA behind my name. <laughs> it would be harder. <laughs> Listen, I'm going to tell you all about essentialism. And I learned that while getting my MBA through the University of Phoenix online. It, there's nothing wrong with that. I will no. say, I don't know if the book deals would roll on in faster. I don't think it would be a New York Times bestseller if somebody was like, hey, I have a degree in ceramic pottery, but I'm going to tell you about how to rearrange your life. You know, I wouldn't not listen to a potter about so organization. either, but I don't think that the publishers, the publishers wouldn't come running. It's a beautiful business book that everybody wants to read now. It's an airport book. This is, to- oh, this is a total airport book. Yeah. And I think for good reason, it's very digestible. So here's a part of Explore that I really like, and then we're going to move on to the next part. Great. Because I think we, yeah, totally, like this is the essence of Explore, right? You got to figure out what's important. Something in here that he spends a whole section talking about is sleep. And he calls sleep, protect the asset. So he's talking about himself like he's, he, he, he has bodyguards um, and he is the asset. Yeah, he is the asset. I think what he's saying is that your brain is the asset. Like, so. Oh, okay, his brain. What he, yeah, what he says here is our highest priority is oh. to protect our ability to prioritize. Okay. So I do need you to know, Kate is showing me this in the book and like, it's taking up half of a page and it's in like, I would say 128 point font. And it's our highest priority is to protect our ability to prioritize. I mean, that's a little snake eating its own tail, but I do understand that he's saying basically his North star, his North star is prioritization. And if he knows that while I'm short on sleep, I can't make fully fledged out decisions. I fine. I'll say yes. Mm -hmm. But I mean, for a guy who's like, figure out your priority, he basically gives you a priority. Which is to prioritize? Yes. It's like, like a mirror. It's an MC Escher painting. <laughs> it's like a mirror in front of a mirror. <laughs> yes. It's let's like just, I'm in. Let's move our hands so it looks like we're all doing like a chorus line of like yeah. kicks and stuff. It's like I'm in the okay. last scene of Labyrinth when you figure out that he's been in love with her the whole time and you're like, what wait, the- what? Spoiler alert. I, look, Ugh. if you haven't seen Labyrinth by now, that's the listener's problem. That's right. Okay. There's also um, so much more to explore in that movie. So don't take that as a spoiler, please. If you haven't. That should be, we should, you should write a self-help book about it. You would sell millions. Ugh. Okay. I, excuse me. I shouldn't say should. I shouldn't say should. Yeah, I should say you could write a self-help book about that movie. I could. Labyrinth, a self-help guide uh, to discover your inner David Bowie. All right. We've got the essence. Mm-hmm. And now we've done explore. We've explored, which is basically now we're ready to eliminate. We're ready to eliminate. Did so, I say that right? Yes. <laughs> Should have said exterminate. Said you exterminate. nailed it. Exacerbate. I don't know. I'm just trying to think of sure. e words. Yeah. Emasculate. Let's do it. Okay. So in to this point, the emotional journey that I've been on as the reader is okay. This still all makes sense. However, it is very much still in theory for me. I I don't understand how I, as a person who wants to please everybody just by nature, that's, you know, for better or for worse, that's how I am. How am I bad? Why is that bad? Yeah, exactly. Like, how would I actually operationalize any of this? Like, I don't know. So for me, eliminate is where the rubber meets the road, essentialism-wise for me as the reader. This is where the rubber meets the road. What they talk about is how to cut out the quote trivial many. So do it. Show me the first trim thing. that fat. Get trim to the core. Fat. Get to the pith, the essence, the espresso, the nugget, the diamond. What is it? What's what? What is? How do we do it? I want so badly for you to keep going. The <laughs> <laughs> there's a couple ways. So the first thing that you need to do is you need to clarify what Greg McEwen calls the essential intent. So this is basically the North Star, which he previously told us was prioritization, but I guess we put a pin in that. And now we find the essential intent. So this is basically like, you need a vision, you need an end goal, you need some sort of measure of success that you're driving towards. Great. Great. Something he says here that I absolutely love is he has a heading and a paragraph and it says, stop wordsmithing and start deciding. Ooh, Ooh, he do speak right to me. <laughs> he does. And he he hit me in my core with that one. In your essence, in your pith, in, in the my nugget, espresso in the kernel, bean. In the 
espresso in, in the compressed in the center. smallest top piece of the asparagus yes in the molten core hits me in my core How, why did that speak to you because for me you know it's um there is some adage that i am sure you know uh, that is like the great is the enemy of perfect is the enemy of good what is it Perfection, perfect is the enemy of good. Perfection is the enemy of good. I believe Ovid said it, yeah. Wow, I should know that. No. <laughs> okay, so I would like to apologize. <laughs> why you, are you apologizing I for don't, Frank McEwen? This is why people send me these books, Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> okay, keep going, keep going. Let's exacerbate more. So this is the one, this next one is called Dare, about how we eliminate. And what okay. this is, is this is what Greg McEwen calls the power of a graceful no. Okay, no. Now, I want to, I know listeners can't see this, but I want to show you, Lisa, on video that this is where I've drawn a picture of myself barfing. It's true. She has a beautiful stick figure with lovely hair and glasses and barf. Mm-hmm. And I'm not barfing because I think that it's a bad idea. I'm barfing because it's impossible for me. That's why. Okay. Okay. So, yep. That, that's the reason is this is the part that scares me. So this is why I was very drawn to this part because what he talks about is that, first of all, he acknowledges that saying no takes a lot of courage. And he also acknowledges that you often have to separate the idea of the relationship from the decision that you're making. So- True. What he says here, and I have a quote that I pulled out, is make your peace with the fact that saying no often requires trading popularity for respect. When you say no, there is usually a short-term impact on the relationship. When the initial annoyance or disappointment or anger wears off, the respect kicks in. When we push back effectively, it shows people that our time is highly valuable. It distinguishes the professional from the amateur. I mean, okay, I'm not 100% on board that the the respect increases all the time because sometimes people that that's that's an economist viewpoint that's expecting people to behave as rational and humans are irrational. So, mm, Greg McEwen, no. Well, so I get that. And I think the thing that he does not go into in detail. He touches on it a little bit because he does acknowledge that this is like a relationship risk. But the thing that he doesn't talk about is the idea of the receiver of the information. That's right. So he makes the assumption that people will, like you said, be rational and say, man, I really respect her or pushing back on mm-hmm. that. Like, I really mm-hmm. respect that. No, when in reality, I don't know who I'm speaking to. I mm-hmm. don't know what they are going baggage. to say. Yeah. Yeah. But what he does do is he gives us what he calls the no repertoire. Give it to me. Give me your no repertoire. Well, I'm not going to give you the whole thing because there's there's four pages of it and I appreciate okay. it. So basically okay. what he does is he just goes step by step on the different ways that you can say no. 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 <laughs> no. Like that? <laughs> I wish. Uh, I wish. No, it's more basically to like massage how it lands with the other person. And there's a lot. Give me one example. Give me one example of that four pages. Sure. This one I like. It is, oh no, I'm going to give you two. I'm so sorry. See, I just said no because I decided. Then you also apologize. (laughs) Very quickly. Someone send me another book. (laughs) Okay. This one I really like. It says, say yes. What should I deprioritize? Great. Practical. This one is use email bounce backs. What? Mm-hmm. So basically he... Like all pre, pre-written pre mm-hmm. emails that... Yeah. So okay. he suggests and uses a, an example of when he was writing this book, how he had an a email bounce back that just said, I am deep in writing my book. And I'm just not very responsive right now. Thanks, Greg. Okay, well, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. I yeah. Okay, all right. Let's yeah. keep going. I, I could yep. pick it apart for an, an entire hour. But no, right. I mean, so could I. And then, so the next thing he talks about, and I think this is really interesting. So I, when I said he, qu- he quotes everybody and gives a million examples, he sure does. 
some some of the things that I appreciate though is he does bring in a lot of stuff around like different cognitive biases okay. and he taught there's um there's some neuroscience going on in here. He's citing some real great authors that I know I've read a bunch and and I really think have really cool relatable things to say. And so he talks about some really like I think relevant and practical things here. So the next is like uncommit to things. And he talks a lot about this idea of sunk cost bias. So just Mm -hmm. because, you know, you've put a ton of time and effort into it, just let it go. Listen, just because we've been married for 50 years and had 17 children doesn't mean I need to stay with you when you irritate me by leaving the Miracle Whip jar off. Bye. I mean, I think that totally makes sense. What I, I don't enjoy mayonnaise or Miracle Whip. And I understand that they're two different things. Maybe that's a mini-sode. I don't know. <laughs> I love you, Kate. Okay, so I feel like I understand the essence. I understand exploring. Mm-hmm. I understand eliminating. Understand eliminate, yep. And one thing he does talk about in elimination that I really like is he basically is like, don't let other people, don't enable other people in their problems. Like, don't make their problem your problem. Your problem. Oh, that what? reminds me of every school secretary who had the cross stitch behind print behind them that said, "Your lack of preparation is not my emergency." It is right, or like your lack of preparation so real. Is, does not is no cause for my. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. Something. Something akin to that. Everybody knows what I'm talking about. Okay. So yes. what's what's the last? So yeah. So we've set our we've set our firm boundaries. We yes. well, for, well first we've just we know who we are as an essentialist. Right. We've figured out what is the important what's the essential out of the trivial we've eliminated and now boundaries yep and now it is time to execute which is like okay. a system you kill everything you just execute Sorry. it <laughs> <laughs> if you are not if you are not a priority i kill you i simply I kill, kill you Sorry well, to my daughter's gerbil because I do not like cleaning that cage. So sorry. What I will say is that he does use some pretty extreme examples. So Okay. Yeah. So execute is like this is when we're it's time for the essential shit to happen. So the so what he talks about is how do you do this? And again, a lot of this has to do with with privilege. Do you have the tools, right? So the first mm-hmm. is build in buffers, right? Give yourself that time and space to think, but also acknowledge the fact that you are going to need more time. And I do like the fact that he acknowledges in, especially this part of the book, that sometimes there is shit that is out of your control because up until now, it is very much like, you got it, you got it, it's you. But what I do appreciate about this is that he's like, Sometimes gonna things happen. are going to happen. There is going to yeah. be, shit's going to happen. There's going to be traffic. Somebody's going to be late on a project. And also another thing that he puts in here that I really like is this idea of humility. Like you're not always going to be right. Even if you've done all the essentialist shit correct, maybe you were wrong, right? But the idea yeah. behind the buffer is you just have to be proactive. Okay. So, okay. yeah, yeah, exactly. Then the he talks about subtracting. So reducing obstacles. And the example that he gives, first of all, I was a little nervous about this example because when he talks about the buffer, he uses this example of these like two expeditions to the South Pole, one of which the leader of the expedition assumed best case scenario and everybody died. The Mm -hmm. other one was he like made a lot of preparations and planted a lot of flags with a, with a lot of supplies and they did it. So the next, the next thing that he starts to jump into is this example of like a boy scout hiking trip. And I'm like, where are we going with this? Mm -hmm. But he talks about this idea of the slowest hiker, which I really liked. So basically the sort of parable that he talks about is they're leading a Boy Scout hiking trip and there's this one kid who's the slowest and is lagging behind. And he's trying to figure out how do I get this kid to go faster or how do I get my faster kids to slow down? Execute what, the slow one and leave them behind. You know, you'd think from the title, but fortunately... He did not. Yeah, it would be a very different book. Did he help the Boy Scouts remember what the priority of the thing was, which was to be together as a group? Mm, no, but the essential intent 
was you ha- they had to get to this certain campsite before sundown. Okay. That was the focus. So what he figured out was, I'm going to put the slowest hiker, the slowest kid first, uh-huh. not at the, at, at the back, put him first, and then understand what does he need to make to the, that can help him go a little bit faster. And they realized, oh, all these other kids are faster, but this kid is carrying just as much gear as everybody else. Maybe let's take some of his gear and redistribute with some of these kids that are a little bit faster. And he ended up speeding up. So the idea uh, is you don't necessarily have to execute the a problem, child. a small right. child, but what you do have to do is figure out how you can like mitigate that a little Basically bit. Basically problem solve. Um, I did worry that he <laughs> got faster because there were seven other children yelling at him. Hurry up, Stan. Why don't you go faster, Stan? I hope not. I just got really sad about that. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That didn't happen. They they fixed it within five minutes and everybody got to the campsite and everybody was fine. A hundred percent. So, yes. So in your execution, you're subtracting and you're not figuring out how to add more stuff. You're figuring out how to That's take smart. it away. Yeah. And you, yep. we, don't, we don't solve a problem by making more problems. We solve yep. a problem by reducing the problem. Okay. Yep. Well, I'm going to yeah. write a bestseller. Well, I mean, and he did, right? I mean, look at this. I'm holding this book. But what he also talks about, and this I think makes a whole lot of sense, is this idea of hiring, right? So he's like, oh, we got all this work. Let's just hire a bunch more people. And he's like, "Mm mm-mm, bad news. You got to not just hire a whole bunch more people. You got to first figure out what are the people doing? And Uh. that like, so basically don't just add more, like see what you can take away first. And then when you look at the whole picture, if you decide you need to add more, Add more. Yeah. I love it. Okay. I love it. Yeah. And then he goes in. So this is where I look down and my feet are in like a centimeter or two of woo-woo water. Woo-woo. Okay. Got it. Okay. And so here's where he starts to talk about this idea of making sure that you're building in small wins, which, you know, is is not a, a novel concept, right? So mm-hmm. we like uh, get make sure that you're seeing progress in mm-hmm. what you're driving towards that's essential so that you build some momentum. He also talks about flow and routine okay. and how that is important. I know I'm really bad at routine, but what he does is he sort of celebrates it as this idea of it will clear your mind mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. things so that it's, you know, more You're creative. not making choices. You're just going through your routine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But at le- what he sort of argues is that it will it will free you to not like be on autopilot all the time, but Mm -hmm. to not have to make so many little decisions. Right, like it's already set up for you. Yep, exactly. He talks about multitasking and he says the essentialist, the essentialist can multitask, but what the essentialist cannot do is multifocus. Okay, I see. Mm -hmm. And that's fair. And then the very end of it, the very last thing that he tells you, the small, the short chapter is just called B. I know. I wanted to see how you would feel about that. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. I almost yep. threw down my glasses. That's All okay. Right. But what he is saying here is that this is not something that you decide to do for like six months during, you know, a busy family time or a busy work project or something. Basically, what he says is that the idea of essentialism, essentialism has to become, quote, emotionally true for you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then you be an essentialist and you live the life of an essentialist rather than the totally, you know, trash life of a non-essentialist. Thank you. This also feels like the editor came back and said, we can't just leave it uh, at, at the fourth one and we need something. And he was like, what about a chapter about just be? And they were like, fine. Done. That's perfect. Well, but then, you know, something is... And I'm not, I don't want to take us into a different book territory, but I feel like there are several of these books that I'm reading uh, or that I've read in the past where you look down, where you look down and you find that centimeter of, of woo-woo water. Like, mm-hmm. so mindset, like I love Dweck mindset. And mm. I know you all did an episode on that too. I hated but- it because she could have written it in 10 pages. <laughs> and it was 300. There are also books, I, I'm looking at my bookshelf, but several of these books that really are, I think, more targeted at folks in business or leadership. Sure. But then at the end of it, it's kind of like, 
but now look how this has changed your whole life. And you're like, wait. Yeah. Yeah. He also does at the, and that's the end of the book, but at the very end, there is a short, and I'm talking less than 10 page appendix on leadership and essentialism. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Kate. Oh my God. Great job. That, that is Essentialism by Greg McEwen. And obviously we can't cover everything in the book in one episode. So if you want to read it for yourself, it's available uh, wherever books are sold. And we'll put a link to those and to the and to the author's website in show notes. But I have some questions for you, Kate. No, listen, I'm just so grateful because there's no way I could have read. I would have read page one and been like, I hate this. And I would have given up. So I'm so grateful that you're here supporting me and our listeners and giving them this wonderful information. So here are the questions I have to ask. Did this book need to be written? Sure. <laughs> Is that an okay answer? It's an okay answer. Can you tell me just like in a sense or two what, what's hedging your bets against a hot yes or hot no? Mm-hmm. I think that the idea behind this is really great. I think that it is encapsulated in a lot of other books, concepts, mindsets, mm-hmm. etc. But I do think that if this book, in the way that Greg McEwen has written it, resonates with mm-hmm. people, then mm-hmm. yes, I think that's fantastic. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. What did you try to put into practice from this book and how did it affect you, if anything? Oh, nothing. At least not yet. So I am going to try. I don't know if I can see myself being a full essentialist. Mm -hmm. The idea of it makes like the back of my knees sweat a little bit, if that makes sense. (laughs) But what I will say is that I think many of these things should be definitely tried for me. And the biggest one is saying no. Okay. Who would you buy this book for and who would you never buy it for? I think I would buy this book for somebody who maybe is at a point in their career where they are doing everything. Mm -hmm. So I think I would definitely like make that parallel to, it doesn't have to be a certain type of work. Like doesn't have to necessarily be like an office or corporate or anything like that. But somebody maybe who is like finding that they're hustling or somebody who I hear talk a lot about like, well, I'm just hustling. I'm just doing everything. Or maybe they're on the edge of burnout. I think I would buy this book for that person. I love that. Or maybe send them like a YouTube video of one of his talks and then they could just get it from there. Who would you never buy it for? (laughs) My first thought was collectors. (laughs) <laughs> hoarders and I, I feels judging <laughs> I guess I would maybe not buy this book for like somebody who is a career philosopher yes if that's, that's a thing that's good because it would drive them bananas they'd hate it yeah listener challenge do you have homework for the listeners to try and for Misty and I to try which just as a reminder and uh, new information to everybody we now have a patreon you can find us at patreon.com slash go help yourself and we we do all of our homework on uh, episodes called deep dives and those are available there so is there anything you want Misty and I to try I would say if you decide that it is essential to try something from this uh-huh. episode, uh-huh. And if you decide that it is not, then that is okay. My homework would be if the opportunity arises mm-hmm. to practice the power of a graceful no. Okay. We'll give that a whirl. Kate, thank you so much. I'm so grateful. I'm so happy that all of our longtime little listeners get to be introduced to you because you're just so wonderful and so fun and funny. Again, all the links to everything that we talked about will be in show notes. And Kate, I'm just so glad everybody got to meet you. I love you. Thank you so much for supporting me during this just grief-filled time. Lisa, I love you too. And I think you are incredible and amazing. And reaching out to say, hey, can I have some help with something is a skill and a part, a piece of vulnerability that I am working so hard to master in my life. And so having a wonderful friend such as you to demonstrate to me how Mm. possible it is to do that is so valuable. So thank you for having me. Thank you Mm. for, I I will say too, I admit this, this book was gifted to me probably about a month or two ago. 
and mm-hmm. I have not had a chance to read it yet. And so this was the perfect opportunity for me yeah. to to read and explore this and understand what I want to take away from it. So, and also just spending a Saturday afternoon with you. Get out of Super here. Fun. <laughs> oh, I love you. All right. Well, with that, life is, is abundant. abundant. Go Help Yourself was produced by Misty Stinnett and Lisa Linky. Our theme song was written by the inimitable Matt Sav. Inimitable. There's nothing we love more than hearing from you. Email us at gohelpyourselfpodcast at gmail.com. We're also at gohelpyourselfpodcast on Instagram and at ghypodcast on Twitter. And you can go old school and check out our website at gohelpyourselfpodcast.com. It basically is a fancy PowerPoint slide. If you liked our podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review because it helps other people find our show. You know who else needs to find it? Your friends. Tell all of your friends. Okay, thanks. Bye. Bye.